Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk Racing to Me, episode 78. I'm Naomi Tucker, your usual host, and still in the, the Netherlands. I'm very excited to be joining the World Horse Racing crew at the Ebor Festival next week, though. But aside from that, definitely keep my fingers crossed to get back stateside soon. Now, this week's guest, he's a rising star, an 18 year old jump jockey currently leading the national steeplechase standings by seven wins. I'm talking about none other than Parker Hendricks. Two weeks ago, he jumped into everyone's field of vision with his first ever Saratoga win on Freddie Flincher over the fences in the first race of the car. Now, got a chance to catch up with him. So uh, let's get right to it. Parker, how are you doing and where are you at? Doing well, thank you. Um, right now, I'm in my house. I live um, about 30 minutes away from the Fairhill Training Center in Pennsylvania. Um, that's where I'm based most of the time. Obviously, we do a lot of traveling, but that's where I would call home. All right. Well, I'm glad you found a spare moment to chat with me today because about a week and a half ago, you won at the spa on Freddie Flincher for trainer Kerry Bryan. That was a two and a 16 mile race over the fences. And I remember watching the Saratoga live coverage. Your older sister, Liza, interviewed you in the winner's circle right after. And that's kind of when your story caught my attention. I dare say a lot of people kind of saw your face there. I guess a lot of people that would quintessentially watch the flat racing a little bit more saw your face for the first time. Now, I'm hoping that you wouldn't mind going back to that race and that day, it also being your first win at Saratoga. Was that, in a way, a dream come through? Of course, with the prestige and exposure that comes with riding at the spa. Uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting. I, um, I'd ridden a few races up there last year and been placed. Um, and yeah, we thought Freddie, um, obviously Carrie trains him and, uh, Carrie's who I ride for, um, about every, every race I ride is for her. She has a lot of horses and keeps me busy, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty exciting. We thought he would have had a good shot. Obviously it was a pretty competitive field um of nine i think it was and yeah it was pretty spectacular everything kind of it didn't exactly go to plan i was a little further back than i would have liked um but i was just kind of trying to get him comfortable obviously he's only four which is young for a jumper um that's mm -hmm. the youngest they can be running at this time of the year um so yeah it's pretty spectacular and then um Liza has been doing the news or the interviewing coverage for um, the jump races. She did it last year and has doing it this year. And um, so it's pretty cool to get an interview for my older sister in the winter circle in Saratoga. That was, that was a pretty special moment. I was going to say that must add to the genuine celebration that you showed just after the wire as well. I mean, you were kind of so far ahead. It was a, a little bit of kind of sharing the emotion in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, I was, it was pretty overwhelming. I said that in the interview, you know, <clears throat> to win at Saratoga is it's one of, it's our biggest stage of jump racing. Um, and you know, it, it's a pretty, pretty uh, cool place to win. 
And quickly going back to the ride, you're already mentioning uh, some of the tactics involved. I mean, I, w- I, was, I watched the race back and obviously I watched it live as well. I, I thought that your move kind of just coming into the squ- stretch when you had ranged up a little bit was pretty decent because you got out into the clear and he duly delivered. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, the plan was just kind of to jump him off and ride him as I found. Um, and I was further back than I would have liked, but I wasn't like, I wasn't too far out of it. I thought we would have gone quicker than we did. Um, but the race kind of ended up setting up for him because the leaders, um, stopped turning in. Um, and I kept it simple. I just pulled him out pretty wide. I was like three, three paths wide coming into the bend and, um, we landed at the back of the last and I kind of hustled him away and he started kind of quickening. And I was, I, I thought I had it won at that point. I was really cruising. Um, and I actually had to stand back up on him or else I, I thought I was going to hit the front too soon. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, he's really, as we saw, he's really fast. He has a really serious turn of foot. Um, and in the past, it's kind of, his problem has been, his jumping has kind of let him down and he's found himself further back and not really in a position to win. Um, but his last two starts, he's really gotten the hang of just kind of, um, jumping and jumping at speed. And so he can kind of just lay up and then, you know, once the jumping's out of the way, he can really use a turn of foot he has. And perhaps also become a more efficient jumper with the experience. But also wanted to kind of explain for the listeners that perhaps don't know as much about jump racing. Obviously, there's quite a bit of time from that last jump until the finish line because there isn't a fence uh, in the straight for that final part of the race in contrast with, for example, in Europe where we do see you know that last fan fence pretty close. I mean, that must be quite different when you're riding, especially, like, for example, at Saratoga, that you, you then have a bit more time to, in a way, make up ground in that last bit of the race? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, ordinarily, I would say the last fence is with probably no further than two furlongs from the wire, um, whereas in Saratoga, it's like five and a half for alongs from the wire. So right. I'm glad of, you know what the distance was. Cause I was like, I wasn't sure how far out it was, but I, I know it's far. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about five and a half for alongs. And so it suits a horse like Freddie because he has a lot of flat speed. Um, and so it's obviously totally flat, which is kind of abnormal for our usual jump racing. Um, and it's, it's pretty different, you know, from the racetrack to the hunt meets because Obviously, it's totally flat, it's faster, and there's not as much jumping. So it, it takes a different kind of force to win around um, each different place. And do you think it's a good thing that they don't have that final jump sort of in front of the stand? Because I was kind of thinking uh, in terms of the reasoning behind it. I like it because, you know, you do have a, a bit more of a fatigued horse come the end of the race and then to make them still perhaps in, you know trying to stay in the lead or forcing them to jump that final time could cause them to perhaps you know brush a fence or something else to happen yeah exactly you know there's they used to have a fence there and there's a reason they took it out like there was a lot of um fallers at it you know just because it is so flat and you go so fast mm-hmm. obviously um speed you know speed is what usually does horses in so I, I, I think it's a good thing they don't have a last fence. Um, there's still eight jumps, which is just as many as you need to be jumping in a two-mile uh, hurdle race, I think. 
You know, I agree with you as well, as well as with the reason that Naira removed that last fence. I think it's good yeah. for the sport and, and ensures that, you know, you, you stay safe and everyone involved, including the riders and the horses, get the kind of chance or better chance to do just that. You talked about Kerry Bryan keeping you busy. So, of course, you're, you're riding mainly for her. Tell me about the partnership and, and what that has meant for you. Yeah, um, no, Carrie's been great to me. We, I've been working for her for just over three years. I started um, when I was 15. Um, I was working under her for Jonathan Shepard. And um, Carrie and Jonathan gave me my first winner um, two years ago. And I wrote a few winners for her last year. And the opportunity presented itself this year. Um, you know, she didn't have anybody else riding for her and I've been working for her. And so she gave me the opportunity and we've um, had a really successful year so far. We've won, uh, I've won two stakes for her and um, all but one of my winners this year has been for her. So yeah, no, we, um, we have a great working relationship and we just seem to really do well together. So how did that work out then when you were already working for them age 15? Were you kind of going in between school or how did you manage that? Yeah. So when I started when I was 15, I just worked there for the summer and came in on the weekends. Um, and then this past year, so, and then the, it was about the same last year. I just kind of came in on the weekends. Um, but this past year, I obviously was in a pretty um, – important position where I kind of needed to be there more often. Um, so I, it was my senior year, um, and I would go into work at Fair Hill in the mornings and I would leave there at about, uh, eight 30, go 50 minutes to my school at nine 30. Um, and I was doing that every morning and then to be honest with you, I missed in the second semester, I missed 55% of my classes because <laughs> I was taking off so much school to, um, you know, go in school horses and then go racing as well. Like we did so much racing down in um, Camden, South Carolina. I was taking off three days every week for four or five, six weeks even. Um, so I was missing a lot of school, but luckily I was a pretty diligent about it and um stayed on top of things so my school um they did a great job working with me and you know they supported me which was really really nice yeah that certainly must have helped lots that they were understanding of well that your priorities were of course still school but also trying to get the chance to do what you loved and perhaps build up a career for yourself as well which you've clearly done quite strongly or quite well so far i mean you lead the national steeplechase standings i think you're seven wins up at present of course there's still many race day to go but if you're gonna have to kind of characterize this this season what has it been like for you so far and when did you lose your bug uh yeah it's been an incredible year i lost actually it's kind of cool so um at middleburg this spring i lost my bug on a horse called iranistan who upset snap decision in the grade two um which was my first graded stakes winner and it was a pretty incredible that was pretty incredible to lose my bug in a race like that 
Um, and that yeah. doesn't happen that often to people that you lose your bug winning a graded stakes race. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty incredible. And, um, you know, like I'd ridden in, uh, I'd actually, no, that was my second stake winner this year. Um, my first one I rode for Carrie as well. Um, and she was great to me. Like, obviously a bug rider can't claim an stake. Um, and I am 18, so I'm relatively inexperienced, um, like in comparison to some of the guys I ride against, but like Carrie was totally behind me and totally had, um, had total support and confidence in me and to go and do the job. Oh, that's, that's incredible. You, you have to tell me how to pronounce the name of that race. Cause it's, cause I looked it up. Temple Gwathme, Gwathme hurdle at Glenwood. Yeah. The huh? temple, the temple Gwathme. Yeah, that's it. Gwathme. It's a, it's okay. a really historic race. <laughs> Yeah. No, I was I was watching it back and I'm here thinking I definitely need to not mispronounce it because obviously that was perhaps one of the highlights of your career so far, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. That was it's um that I think the three biggest days I had this year was Friday in Saratoga, um Afghanistan and Middleburg and Historic Heart in Camden. Um that was yeah, those were the three biggest days. It was my first stakes winner was um Historic Heart in Camden. And then, yeah, Iranistan was pretty special. And my first Saratoga winner was also really special with Freddie. Oh, and to perhaps top it off, you're very much in the lead to be crowned champion jockey at the end of the season. How incredible would that be? Yeah, you know, it's um, obviously something you dream about. But I just kind of try and, you know, I, I don't really worry about it. Obviously, I like to look at the standings. Oh, come on. Surely you look at it. Yeah, don't you <laughs> oh, don't do. say that. That's not true. <laughs> no, I, I do. I look at it. <laughs> I do look at it, but I try not to um I try not to change anything that I do because I'm I I think it's really like it's pretty easy like when I'm riding like I'm riding nice horses so I can have confidence in the horse and I have um owners and trainers that are have confidence in me. Um so it's, you know, I don't really feel any pressure because I'm the leading jockey or anything, you know, but obviously we're, um, we're still a long ways away from the end of the year. I'm just trying to keep my head down and keep working away and try and keep riding more winners. Wait, so you don't get nervous or feel pressure at all before you ride? Because I could imagine, especially because you're, you know, still at the start of your career that that might still play a role sometimes. Uh, no, not really. You know, I, uh, I really don't get nervous. Um, I think I get excited. Um, but I think now like I'm at a point where I am very like realistic about things. Like I feel like in like last year I was kind of, it was all happening very quickly. I was pretty inexperienced and I was a little bit nervous and I was less confident and sure what I was doing myself. Um, whereas now I'm kind of, you know, I've ridden a lot more winners than I did last year and I've kind of, um, my riding has been refined and I think I, I keep things very simple. Um, and I really, to be honest, I don't get that nervous anymore. Um, you know, I typically ride pretty nice horses and, um, you know, touch wood, we're having a lot of success. So there's, you know, I just 
try and focus on that and just try and do my best on every horse. I must admit, I like your kind of psychology 101. I don't get nervous is excitement. Isn't that what they tell us all to look at it? Right? <laughs> Isn't that what they tell you? No, the butterflies are excitement. Just tell yourself that and you'll believe it, right? Yeah, exactly. I just try and, you know, I, I there's what well, I like, as I like to say, what sort of me nervous about what could go wrong? <laughs> Um, I can, I can list a few things that could go wrong. <laughs> Look, it's always uh, such a, you know, such a pleasure to, to do what you're, what you love and you don't want to think too much about the risk. Cause I do feel like when you start thinking about what could happen, you know, going over hurdles or fences at speed, you might kind of lose that enjoyment, right? Yeah. You know, obviously there's a risk element. It's obviously a dangerous sport regarding, you know, and ton animals over fences um but you know i don't know I, I don't you just don't worry about what can go wrong because if you're worried about what can go wrong you'd be you, you wouldn't make it as a jockey you know you just have to just just be optimistic i guess <laughs> no i definitely think it would it would hinder you if you'd already started to see sort of what could go wrong and then instead of making perhaps the decisions that you'd now make out of I wouldn't say kind of instinct, but a little bit perhaps, then you might be worried about the risk instead of just being focused on yeah. the race. I, I do know that my first time schooling over fences, I kind of went, oh dear, this is very high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, that's it. Like you just have to kind of, you know, obviously as soon as uh, the gates break on the flat or the flag drops for for jump racing, like, you know, it's just you and the horse. Um, and you just have to kind of figure them out. And obviously, you, they, there are a lot of split-second decisions to be made out there. Um, so you just have to make, try and make the right ones and what you think is the best. Um, you know, if you can kind of just try and slow everything down and think about what's going, what's going on around you um, and just kind of try and get – I try to try and get my horses in a rhythm and get them jumping and wherever they're happy, really. Um, and then, especially like at Saratoga and Colonial we're racing right now, if you can just kind of get them happy and in a place where they like are close enough to the lead to win, um, then that's all you can really do because, you know, um, like once you land over the last, you have five furlongs to try and get to the wire first. Whereas um, at the hunt meets, like you're kind of trying to ride a race and you know jump and it's it's a little more complicated at the hunt meets than it is um at the racetrack but you know they're both you, they're both different do you have a certain way of sending a horse into a fence or a hurdle for example this is just kind of top of my mind um ap mccoy used to really aggressively ride a horse into the jump is there a kind of a style that you're looking for or, or who do you look up to or, or what is kind of your way um, you know, I just try and, um, sit really quietly and let them figure it out. Um, I don't like to go asking them for any big jumps, especially when you don't need them in the beginning or middle part of a race, because that's not when you need them. If you're going to ever really need a big jump, it's going to be at the last or the second to last, um, when you're trying to like maintain the lead or maintain a position. Um, so that's kind of like, I just try and sit quietly and let the horse figure it out. Um, and like, obviously if they're green horses or 
you know, you're teaching something, you might have to kind of help them out and, um, you know, guide them in the right direction. But, you know, made handicappers, you just, I just try and sit as quietly as I can and not interfere with them or unbalance them. So you don't really look for a stride then, or if you think you're getting in tight, you're not like, oh, <laughs> no, not particularly, you know, it, um, you can only really see it about three or four strides away if you're coming up right or wrong. Um, so I just kind of, if, if it's, if they're meeting it right, you might like just encourage them a little bit. Um, and like, if you're asking them for a big one, which I don't really do, I'd rather just let them pop because if you ask them for a big one and they don't come up, it can be problematic. So I usually just, I, I, my, um, my style would be more just kind of let them pop it and let it, let them figure it out rather than go and ask for a big one. All right. So a completely different question. How come you ended up riding over jumps as a jockey? Was that always the plan from the get go? I'd say perhaps uh, your family's history within the scene might, you know, have something to do with that as well. But you know, when you're, when you're young growing up, do you think that, I think I read somewhere that you competed in pony racing. Did you always want to be a jump jockey? Was there perhaps a chance that you'd go on the flat as well? Um, to be honest with you, I would like, like, I would love to be a flat jockey, but um, I'm just too big. I'm too heavy. Um, I'm about 140 pounds. So I'd have to lose about mm, 35 pounds. Um, as a bug rider. So that, Mm. that was never really an option for me, but yeah, I did grow up, um, pony racing. Actually, funny enough, some people listening to this might know, uh, Charlie Marquez, he got nominated to the apprentice rider eclipse award. Um, I'm good friends with him. We grew up pony racing. Um, and then some of the other jump jockeys, uh, now we all grew up together pony racing. So that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, like obviously my family's pretty heavily involved in jump racing. My mother um, has probably been my, has definitely been my biggest influence and idol. She, um, she has had some fabulous horses in the past. Um, we don't. Just letting really... everyone know who your, your mom is, champion trainer, Santa Nielsen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, um, she has really, she's basically, we only have one horse here now. Um, and we had uh, maybe 10 going uh, last year, but to be honest with you, like she only got back into it. She took about a 10 year hiatus um, from training and she got back into it a little bit to um, support me and have horses for me to ride. We had about 10 for me to ride, but this year she, I was getting so much um, so many rides from Carrie, I didn't need any of those horses. And I, to be honest, I wouldn't have been available to ride them. So we only have one, one going here now. And, um, yeah, she's definitely been my biggest, uh, influence and coach, I guess. Which is obviously wonderful to have, you know, such close family involvement. By the way, I, I do know Charlie from my time on the Maryland circuit, a phenomenal rider, indeed, very very deserving uh, nominee for the Champion Apprentice uh, Awards. Unfortunately, he didn't get it, but so glad that, again, Maryland was so well, well represented there. They, they do do very well. I didn't realize that everyone was on that same circuit. What is pony racing like here in the U.S.? Because I actually started 
um, in horse racing through pony racing in the Netherlands. That wasn't very big over there, though. Yeah, pony racing here, it's um, there's point to points which are like unsanctioned um, jump races, and they're kind of used as a stepping stone um, for horses to go on to run in sanctioned races. So the point to points are usually have um, pony races before, and so there's <clears throat> there's probably about I want to say maybe ten up uh, ten days of pony racing like before the point to points. Um, so usually the pony races would run, and then the you know um, real horses would run in the point to points, and so. Yeah, about every point point, I would say, has pony racing, which is great. It's a great place for people to learn and, you know, get hooked on the buzz of being a jockey, I guess. And perhaps learn some skills as well, right? Teach them young? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's very, it's a very um, good place for people to kind of just get involved and learn because there's a lot to learn, especially if you go into it with no knowledge you know anybody can get into it you just have to have a pony um and you know there's clinics and stuff too for people to kind of um get used to everything and you know it's it's a great place for you know young kids to uh climb the ranks and learn do they have different age classes for the jockeys and then perhaps like height classes for the ponies as well or how does it work uh, yeah, so it's done by the ponies size. So there's um, small, medium, and large ponies. I forget. I would have been able to tell you before, but I can't remember what size they have to be. And then there's also probably what I think has been the best and most valuable is they have junior horse races, which is for kids that are you know uh, 15 or 16 or 14 um, to ride horses in there are some flat races and then there's also um, some jump races where you follow a field master and then they let you um, race home for three eighths or a quarter of a mile. Um, And I found those to be the most valuable, Um, especially the flat races. I think, you know, you have to ride a race um, and you have to use your head a little bit and it's not just the fastest sprinter can win. Oh, I like that idea as well. The, actual jumping and then at the end they get to see who wins it's kind of like hunting but then not really kind of more that competitive aspect i'm assuming it's a very uh you know competitive circuit i know that even though it was small in the netherlands it's definitely kind of you know people want to win right yeah oh absolutely you know everybody wants to be out there and everybody wants to ride a winner um i know i was pretty competitive pony racing um and I think I um, imagine it's just as competitive now as it was when I was riding in, in the pony races a few years ago. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of like, you know, when children are in school as well and certain, you know, school sports and everyone really wants to win and the parents get competitive about it too. So that's yeah, a great, you know, it's a great atmosphere, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, sometimes, <laughs> luckily my, my mother never really got involved or anything. Sometimes there are parents that are good overly competitive and overly involved but for the most part it's a a lot of fun and it's you know fun as a kid to you know ride your little pony around and um get your picture taken if you win (laughs) 
I'd say that what you're describing is kind of uh, corresponding with the current realities that any other children's sports with parents uh, involved, or at least I can imagine. I had a quick couple of other questions. You were mentioning the weight on the jump scene. What is the current bottom weight here in the US? I was just thinking about that, just top of my head when you mentioned it. Um, so ordinarily horses wouldn't get in for like a journeyman jockey, a horses wouldn't get in lighter than 140. Um, okay. obviously like, uh, bug riders. So their bottom, the, I think the bottom weight for a horse in a jump race is 135. Um, so, and that's, that's like a bottom. You could have a horse with 140 claim 10 off of it. You aren't allowed to go lower than 135. Um, but yeah, that's, it, it can vary. And then there's also timber racing, which is, um, heavier weights. That's like 160, 160, 165. Um, and yeah, for the most part, everything gets in between 140 and 156, I think 154, um, which would be kind of just ordinary handicappers and maidens and stuff. Yeah, very interesting. Because I, I do feel like some of the classifications of the races, I, I come from a background that I knew jump racing back in Europe, but not as much clued up here on the US scene. So what are the different categories? You mentioned timber racing. Now I know that, of course, you have hurdles as well. And fences are kind of like timbers then, but the timbers are kind of harder, right? Like there's some differences. Yeah, yeah. So um, hurdle racing is the brush jumps there. It's a foam roll with a uh, plastic brush which the horses are there. The goal is to be as efficient from one side to the other. Um, and then there's timber racing, which is solid wood fences. Um, and the horses really have to like set themselves and get up and over. Um, and then actually we have, there are some races called steeplethons or like in England and Ireland, they're called banks races, which are over a variety of fences. They can be over, hurdle fences, timber fences, um, like natural hedges. Um, one of the ones runs through water, like a lake. Um, and sounds like eventing. (laughs) Yeah, it is a lot like eventing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a lot like that. Um, so yeah, no, there's a, there's a, a lot of different, um, type, types of racing. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So how how have, how are the current whip regulations like? Of course, on the flat, we've had plenty of amendments based on the states in particular as well. How is that currently the case in, in terms of jump racing? So we're currently under um, the HISA guidelines. So we're allowed to hit them six times behind the saddle. Um, and then on, on the shoulder with your hands on the reins doesn't count towards those six and then we um, are mandated to use a – it's a National Hunt Pro Cush, which is um, – it has a longer uh, popper as compared to the um, flat ones. And so that's typically – most of the riders here are English and Irish, so they would have used those anyways. Most people already use them. Um, so that wasn't a real – change but the only being allowed to hit them six times does is a little bit uh different um you know i i have luckily well actually i did not be not from hissa but i got a um i got a fine earlier this spring for overuse of the stick 
So it's it's kind of been on the radar for this year because we knew it was coming. Um, and now, you know, we're under HISA guidelines, so people are getting fined and suspended. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I luckily, touch wood, haven't gotten a fine or suspension since we've been under the HISA guidelines. Yeah, so that's the same as on the flat, also being under the new updated mm-hmm. HISA regulations uh, as well. Now, kind of finish uh, things off, you, we already mentioned that you were, of course, in school, and I do believe that you just finished up high school before winning at the spa. What are your goals as well as kind of next step onwards from here? Yeah, I did. I just graduated in June, um, and then, yeah, I'm loving what I do. I love riding races, so I'm just going to keep on doing that. I'd love to get over to um, Ireland this winter. Uh, I would like to go over and, you know, ride. I December and January would be really quiet here. So I'd like to get over and, you know, I've been over there once. I went over for two weeks a few years ago, but I'd like to get over there for a few months and, you know, immerse myself. Obviously jump racing's huge there. So I'd like to get over there and, you know, if I could get a few rides, that would be great. Um, if not, just getting the experience and riding out and schooling at different places would be great. Oh, that would be that would be such a fun trip for you, and and definitely riding out on you know it's very very different riding out in Europe from from riding out in the US. Although I, I do believe that when it comes to tra- jump training, it's a little different as well. It's not like you're always uh, going around the a circle like the flat horses do. Now, we, when it comes to jump racing in the US, I was kind of thinking about this because, of course, uh, jump racing being still very prevalent in Europe, but in Australia, we did see it get banned from one of the states there, uh, South Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's something that is on the radar as well for the industry here. Now, you're, of course, a, a young man making a very successful entry into the sport. How would you look upon these developments and, and kind of how do you think we could all improve to protect the sport we love? Um, you know, I think, yeah, no, I did see that in South Australia it got banned, which is a terrible shame. Um, but I think actually one of an American jockey who used to, well, he's not, he's Irish, but he used to ride in America called Willie McCarthy. He, um, he has been riding down in Australia for the last two years. And so he actually is kind of like, I followed him and followed, you know, a little bit more jump racing down there. Um, and then actually another jockey called Craig Thornton, who about a while ago used to ride for my mother. Um, he's a fabulous rider. He rides down there. So, you know, they're racing kind of as what I could gather, like basically was on the brink of being gone. And then now it's kind of been revived. Um, I think here it, it was headed in a pretty bad direction, but I think I'm hopeful that it's kind of headed in a better direction now. Um, I think, you know, I think Carrie has done a really good job and I think a lot of people could learn from her. She has really used um, social media to her advantage and really like we, one of our biggest owners, maybe our biggest owner, Paul Willis, um, Atlantic Friends Racing, she got him involved in American Jump Racing on Twitter. And we have won probably like maybe eight races for him in the last two years. Um, 
and I think um, Leslie Young also, I don't ride for her, but she does a lot of social media um, and she has really built up a serious string of horses as well. She's obviously the leading trainer. Um, and so I think the, the two of them, obviously, they're a little bit younger and they're kind of setting a new precedent that kind of like, you know, you can, you know, make advantage, take advantage of, you know, kind of help a, showcase this sport yeah, in a way. A free platform, basically, like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook are all free. And you can really, you know, promote your business um, through that. And so I think, you know, hopefully, you know, if there's can promote it and, you know, expand upon it. And I think the other, the other thing, um, Jack Fisher's also done this as well with Robert LaPenta um, and Carrie did it with Saul Coombe and Madigan Stables, getting big flat owners like that to kind of, you know, get a horse or get, we have two for Saul, um, get them involved. It really opens people's eyes to the world of jump racing. You know, a lot of people in flat racing don't have any idea what goes on in jump racing or that even exists, you know? Um, so I think that is also like getting more people like involved from the flat industry, um, with jump racing, you know, would be a massive help. And in a way, perhaps as well, when sometimes you do have those horses that are already going longer distances on the flat, but might not be as competitive, you might be able to give them kind of a new lease on being a racehorse by teaching them how to jump. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like um, Freddie Flinchar, who we just won in Saratoga with, he was not quite good enough on the flat. He never broke his maiden. Um, and he was running out in Kentucky for Brendan Walsh. And um, Qatar Racing owned him. And, you know, uh, Kerry reached out to Paul Madden. Or, sorry, Paul Madden reached out to Kerry, who's um, Qatar Racing's uh, racing manager. And he said, look, this horse is not quite good enough, but he is a really cool horse, and I think he might make a jumper. And so, um, you know, one of Kerry's owners, Patrick Lewis, said, let's do it. and Sure enough, he's now won twice over jumps, um, and he's really working out as a jumper. But he just wasn't quite making it as a flat horse. So it's you know the horses can really get a, another opportunity, a second second career out of jump racing. Yeah, absolutely. And also some some of them just naturally seem to take to it. I, I remember I, I used to work for a a flat and jump yard back in Europe. And we did switch horses over to the jumps and all of a sudden they'll, they'll drive you into the jump right there. They want to jump. You're going, all right, like steady on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, like, um, Jonathan Shepard, he used to school, like, I mean, he had some, obviously he was an incredible trainer, but he had some really good horses that he would school over jumps. I mean, these are stakes, flat horses and he would school them over jumps just to sweeten them up, just to do something different with them. And the horses loved it. You know, like horses really, I would say 95% of the time, horses love jumping. And, you know, once they figure out what you're asking of them, um, they really you, they really seem to take to it, you know. It's a pretty natural thing for them. Obviously, 
some horses are um they are don't have any interest you know obviously some horses are going to be uh aren't going to be like the majority but you know i would say 95 percent of the horses um you know that we have just love jumping and love their job you know yeah i really like the idea of schooling flat horses over jumps just to get them to do something different and and allow them to learn something new because i do believe that thoroughbreds are so highly intelligent they want to please you they love learning new things and giving them that variety can truly help them out and i think incorporating that especially you know there's different racing cultures across the globe so everyone does it differently but to really kind of get that involved works as well i, I remember back in australia where we were um, in Sydney that sometimes I'd take horses in. We had a bull ring and there were some jumps there too. And I do dressage and a little bit of, you know, some pole work and whatever. And it really helped them kind of get their mind away from, I'm on the track. I have to be buzzy. I have to do this. This is all I'm doing to actually, oh, this is fun. So I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly support that. Actually, I think my first time over a hurdle was a, a very good flat horse that had gotten retired and I went and rode him out and I saw a hurdle because I was in Lamb when they have schooling grounds there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I saw a hurdle. I'm thinking, surely he can jump that hurdle. Thank God he could, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I definitely believe it's such a healthy, fun thing to do for, for the horses as well. But Parker, on that note, I will let you go and I'm going to thank you for, uh, you know, gracing us with your presence and very much looking forward to see uh, how things continue to go for you. I mean, it's not an understatement to say that you're one of the rising stars on the jump scene. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Let's all take a moment to think back of what we were th doing when we were 18 years of age. Pretty I just finished high school because in the Netherlands if you do the higher level when, before you go to university you finish at 18 and then I went to the British race school to just start to learn how to ride thoroughbreds not winning races no just hanging on making sure that <laughs> and get run off with so massive credit goes to Parker for his success thus far of course, we'll be uh, keeping our eyes out to see uh, how he will continue this season and if he indeed will be crowned uh, champion jump jockey. So thank you again so much, Parker. And guys, that's uh, going to do it for this week's Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. As I highlighted earlier, we'll be at the Ebor Festival in York next week so see if i can get you some snippets of everything that's going on out there as well as of course keeping a bit of a side eye on all the u.s action i mean life is good was quite something in the whitney last weekend so wish i was out there do believe that whitney weekend at the spa is one of the best weekends in racing aside from the british cup and of course do love the kentucky derby as well but Whitney weekend at the spa with that sale later on, uh, Phasic Chiplin as well. It's always a really, really good time to be around there. I'm pretty sure uh, most people that have ever been to Saratoga have sort of at the back of their mind put it on their list that if they ever manage to earn enough money, they will uh, buy a house out there. That's, a, that's on my list anyway. So kind of, you know, hands up if you're with me on that one I just don't know if it's ever going to happen I will definitely keep trying 
But uh, yeah, it's one of the best places to spend the summer. Wish I would have made it out here this year, but 100% will be there next year. In the interim, guys, hope you're all doing well. And catch you all next week. <laughs>